1 Samuel chapter 15, starting at verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to completely de destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. 
but you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught the hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me Agag, king of the Amalekites. Agag came to him in chains, and he thought, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so will your mother be childless among women. And Samuel put Agag to death before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Until the day Samuel died, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. This is God's word. Right, good evening everyone. Um, my name's Nick. I love water polo. Um, but I also love uh, God's Word. Looking forward to getting stuck into, an, uh, in, into it tonight. Um, I'm going to be speaking over the next four weeks. My main aim is to try and use a flip chart every week because I love flip charts. Um, let's pray and we'll get stuck into it. Oh, great God and Father, thank you so much that, uh, that you speak to us. Um, that these ancient stories that seem so far away from us speak today into the situations and the pressures of our lives. And I pray, Lord, as we come to this word, as we come to your words, we, would, we want to encounter you. So please speak to us. Amen. Um, let me start with a question. Uh, whose opinion or whose voice matters to you most? Like, who's the person in your life whose opinion, whose voice you're most sensitive to? Who is that for you? Oh, you know, the person who, if, if they say something good, you feel amazing. But if they're angry with you or frustrated with you, you feel terrible. Whose voice is that for you? I mean, in my life, it's been different people at different times. But I, I can think of one time for me where I had a boss and I was extremely sensitive uh, to his uh, opinion of me. I mean, of course, we all want to make a good impression on our boss, but like this was more than that. 
Do you know what I mean? If, 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 if he gave me really good feedback, I would feel puffed up like a balloon. I'd feel amazing. For days, I'd sort of store up his comments and feed myself on them like sweets. But when it went bad, I remember one particular conversation um, that was really bad, and I couldn't sleep for like two or three days. And I found myself sometimes in, in meetings, and I'd start getting anxious about... Um, you know, if I'd been found out to have done something wrong and um, he'd be frustrated with me, and I hadn't done anything wrong. <laughs> um, other moments I found myself working much harder than I needed to on a piece of work, not because I cared about the work, but because I needed, I needed his approval. So sensitive uh, to his voice. It's exhausting <laughs> living like that. So, so brittle, so, so insecure, so up and down. But who, is it, who is it for you? Whose opinion Whose voice are you most sensitive to? Matters to you most? I mean, it might be a parent for some of us. Maybe you've got a parent and you know that, you know, one comment from them and your mood can be ruined for days. Maybe for some of us it is a boss like it was for me. Maybe it's someone you're in a relationship with. Maybe, maybe it's a group of people. Who is that person for you? Whose voice are you most sensitive to? Um, really, I think that's, that's, that's the big thing right? that's going on in this chapter. It's kind of obscured in our translation, annoyingly. But in the, in the Hebrew, the word voice comes up eight times. So look at verse one with me. Um, Samuel said to Saul, I'm the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. The word message is the word voice. Listen to the voice of the Lord. It comes up also, verse 4, verse 14, verse 19, verse 20, verse 22, twice, verse 24. That's the big issue here, guys. Is Saul going to listen to God's voice or the voice of someone else? And so that's the question this, this passage is going to be asking you and me tonight. Will you, are you listening to the voice of God? Or the voice of something else. Um, just in terms of uh, to remind us where we are uh, in, in, in the book of Samuel. Um, God's people are looking for a leader. Um, we've seen uh, Saul kind of rise and now we see him fall. We're about to see over the next few weeks King David rise. And then later in the Bible he's also going to fall um, as well. But here this week we're sort of here. Okay, so we're seeing Saul's downfall. And as we see his mistake, it shows us what we need, the divine in our, in our king, our saviour, what we need our saviour to be like. Um, and it's this, what we see is we need a king who will listen to the voice of God and not be bounced back and forth by the voice of people. We need a king who listens to the voice of God. So there's two levels, guys, that we read this at. At the first level, it's about that, the, 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 the king that we need. Back then, it was Saul over Israel. Today, it's Jesus over the church. And where Saul screwed up, Jesus nails it, which we're going to see later on. That's the first level. But over here, there's another level at which we read this, which is kind of, I suppose, as individuals. And what we see here in Saul screwing up is just an example for us to avoid. Don't be like Saul. The mistakes Saul makes, don't be like that. So that's the question for us this evening as we dive into this passage. Whose voice are you listening to? Are you listening to the voice of God 
And we all listen to loads of voices, don't we? But fundamentally, whose voice are you, whose opinion are you most sensitive to? The voice of God or someone else? Right, let's dive in. Points there on on, on the uh, service sheets. First point we're going to look at. Saul disobeys the voice of God. Have a look down at verse 2 with me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels, and donkeys. God commands Saul to completely wipe out the Amalekites. Now, oh boy, um, let's pause and deal with this because <laughs> um, this is hard, isn't it? It is so hard to read that, to think of God saying this. Um, just, just two brief things I'm going to say about this. The first is about race and the second is about evil. Okay, so first thing about race, um, which is to say this, this, this isn't um, ethnic cleansing the way we normally think about it. Ethnic cleansing, right, is when a, a inverted commas, superior race destroy what they see as an inferior race for their own gain. That is not what's going on here. In the Bible, the Israelites are never portrayed as racially superior. In fact, God goes out of his way to tell them a few times that they're not. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he specifically tells his people, I did not choose you because you were better than the other nations. I chose you when you were the smallest of other nations. They're never portrayed as superior. And moreover, throughout the Old Testament, God wants to save people from every nation. And you see people from other nations joining God's people. They're given specific rules about how to treat them fairly. This is not a a, a racial problem. The problem here is is evil. It's a specific evil that God is judging here. It's a moral issue. And that's the second thing to talk about, which is just the Amalekites were extraordinarily, horrendously Evil. Now, they, they come from a, a Canaanite region where ritual child sacrifice was common practice. And if you glance at verse 33, that's actually the sin that's identified as their king is put to death, um, is, 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 is the fact that he's been making mothers childless. So this is a society which at every level is oppressive, is harmful, is corrupt. And it's just worth asking for a second. I know we don't like this, but just ask for a second. What would you do with that? Like, what would you do if there was a, it came across a whole society that was completely committed to murdering its own kids? What would you do? And you could go and ask them to change, but they'll kill you. <laughs> And that's what the Amalekites always do when they encounter God's people. There's a little reference to it in verse 2. They're always trying to attack God's people. What would you do? God decides to stop them. God decides to judge them. Now, those of us that are Christians, um, like we do believe, don't we, that God will judge all people everyone's going to face the force of God's judgment. Um, here, I suppose, God presses the fast forward button. Right? He judges them sooner than we'd expect, sooner than um, he normally would. But that's his right. And just, we need to remember, right, that it's God we're talking about here. God who is utterly fair. God who sees and knows everything. Right? He sees the heart of 
every Amalekite, man, woman, child, and infant, he knows what atrocities they would have gone on to commit had they been allowed to live. And my goodness, they must have been messed up for God to say this needs to end now. And so that's what he does. He, he, he judges them like a surgeon cutting out cancerous tissue. He judges them. Now look, if you've got more, more, more issues you want to talk about that more, just grab me at the end because I know that doesn't answer all our questions. But we need to keep going for now. Um, just, just notice verse 3. This is really important. Notice verse 3 that they are to destroy everything, including the cattle, right? There, there is to be, here's the point, there's to be no material gain for the army, right? This is not plundering. This is God judging a specific evil. Um, but Saul disobeys. Look down at verse 8 with me. I'll read it out. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely. Some things Saul decides to keep. The king, that's probably a status symbol. If you parade around that you've captured a king to other nations at the time, that was a bit of a status symbol. Um, but also the cattle that looks good. He disobeys God's voice because there are some things that he's told to put to death, but they look good to him. He doesn't want to, doesn't feel like it. Now, what on earth has that got to do with you and me here today? Um, well, look, we're at a different point in the story, okay? Back then, the king is Saul and he's commanded to totally destroy this evil. This side of the cross, the king is Jesus and he will totally destroy all evil at the end of history, but for us now, um, Christians, we're not to destroy anyone. We're told to love our neighbours and our enemies. But there is one thing that we are told to destroy, and I'm hoping it's going to come up on the screen behind me. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. We are, Christians that is, to kill off our evil desires the desires in our hearts that dishonor God and hurt other people. We are to kill those off. But I suppose, here's the thing, like Saul, we don't always want to do that, do we? Like Saul here, there are things that God tells me to get rid of, but they look good to me. I like them. I wonder if, if have you got anything in your life right now that you're holding on to? You know God says it's wrong, but you don't want to put it to death because it looks good to you. That's what Saul's doing. He's disobeying God's voice, picking and choosing when he'll obey and when he won't. He disobeys God. Next thing, next thing we see in the next part of the story, um, Saul forgets God's grace. So in verse 10 and 11, God tells Samuel, the prophet, that Saul's turned away from God. Samuel sets out for a confrontation. Um, but do you notice in verse 12, why Samuel can't find Saul? Check out verse 12. He can't find Saul because Saul is busy making statues of himself. <laughs> I just imagine that conversation with the builders. Saul gets the builders. Guys, I want you to build a huge monument. Great. What to? Me. Yeah, mm, 
I mean, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that? So you don't want to make a monument to God, perhaps? The last time they defeated the Amalekites, Moses made a, a, a monument to God. You don't want to make a monument to God? Nah, nah, this guy. <laughs> so what are you doing? That's an important window, I think, into Saul's heart, though. Why would anyone do that? He wants honour in the eyes of other people. Now, guys, in the Christian faith, greatness, honour, it never comes from being great in the eyes of other people. It comes from being chosen and loved by God. But Saul's forgotten that. And when Samuel eventually catches up with him right, and confronts him, but Samuel actually reminds him of that. Look at verse 17 with me. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. So God has elevated you. He's given you this identity as his king, but you're not living that identity out, this identity he's graciously given you. Verse 18, he sent you on this mission. Verse 19, why didn't you obey him? And Saul just it doesn't get it, right? So verse 21, he first he tries to blame the soldiers. And then if you look at the end of verse 21, he tries to sort of make up for it with a sacrifice. He claims that he took the, the cattle in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Yeah, I'm disobeying God, but it's okay because I'll do a sacrifice. No, no, no. That is not how God works. Check out what Samuel says in verse 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So that is just not how God works. You don't disobey God in one area of your life and make up for it with a, with a religious act. That's not how he works. So you don't have to persuade God to be on your side. So God's already on your side. He made you the king. He's graciously raised you up. But you've forgotten that. You're, you're disobeying him. And then treating him like some pagan god where I pick when I'll obey him and then I'll just make up for it with a religious ritual. So you've forgotten. That is just not how God relates to people. The whole way through the Bible, God gives us his grace and then calls us to, to, to listen and trust and obey him. Saul's flipped that round. It's just not how God works. And I suppose for you and me today, we do need to know that. We can't just disobey God in one area of our lives and then make up for it with some religious acts. You know, going to church more, giving more, praying more. Just not how God works. I remember a time in my life where there was a, a relationship I was in that I knew was unhealthy, I knew as a matter of obedience to God, I needed to get out of it. And I, I, I didn't want to, I was holding on to it. And what was I saying to myself? I was saying, okay, you're fine. I'm, I'm disobeying God in this area of my life, but I'm still going to church. I'm still going to have a Bible study once a week. Disobeying God in one area, thinking, thinking that I can sort of barter with him with some religious acts to keep him on side. It's 
forgetting God's grace, that is just not how God works. In fact, if you look halfway through verse 23, that is so arrogant that in God's eyes, it is like bowing down to an idol. It's like worshipping another god. It's wrong. It's seriously wrong. And so, end of verse 23, God rejects Saul as king. Saul, you're out. Saul's forgotten God's grace. Okay, third thing, last thing we're going to see in this next bit of the story. Um, I think this is the most interesting. This is where I think we see... Um, the sin behind the sin, like why is it that Saul's, okay, he's disobeying God, but why? What's in his heart? What's motivating his heart to disobey God? Um, and what we're going to see is that Saul cares most about the voice of people, about what people think about him. Look at verse 24 with me. Then Saul said to Samuel, he finally admits it, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. That phrase, I gave in to them in the Hebrew, I listened to their voice. Why is he doing this? He's afraid of the people. He's afraid of their voice. He cares more what people think about him than what God thinks. And he seems to kind of say sorry in the rest of the verse. And he even asks Samuel, let's go and worship together. Um, but here's the thing. Notice why he, he wants to do that. Look at verse 30 with me. Notice why does he want to go and worship with Samuel? Look at this. Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honour me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Notice he says your God, not my God. And why does he want Samuel to worship with him? So that he can be honoured before the people. This isn't, that's, that's not repentance. He's not turning back to God. If it was repentance, he would do what God had commanded him. But he doesn't. He never finishes the job God gave him. Samuel himself has to finish the job in verse 33. So this isn't repentance. What is he wanting? Why is he saying, I want to bow down? He wants to be honoured in the eyes of the people. He wants, he's still, he's caring. He's thinking about what people think of him. And here's the thing. When we live for the opinion of other people, our lives become so inconsistent. And you see that here, right? One moment, Samuel is disobeying God because he cares what people think about him. The next, he's saying, oh, let's go and worship together because he cares what people think about him. There's no consistency there. There's no peace. There's no integrity. And it's the same today. If I live for the opinion of others, when I'm in the pub on Friday night with my old schoolmates, disobey God. When I'm here on a Sunday or at my Bible study group midweek, I make a big show of how into it I am. But the whole time, there's no, no, no consistency. I'm just living. I'm just wanting the approval of other people. There's no peace in my heart when people are big and God is small. Now, I've got to admit that I struggle with that, even up here preaching. 
I could be thinking what you're, what are you thinking of me? Wanting to be big in the eyes of people, caring more about your voice and the voice of God's. And we need, we need a king who is not like that. Look at verse 28 with me. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbours, to one better than you. Right? Our saviour king has got to be better than that. We need a king. We need a saviour who's not weak like us in that way. He's not up and down with other people's opinions. We need a king who will obey God's voice regardless of what people think. And this is the bit that gets really excited because in Jesus Christ, that is exactly what we have. That's exactly what we have. A saviour who listens to God. And it's so attractive. I don't know if you've ever read one of the accounts of Jesus' life, but there's this moment in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus is like, he's starting to trend. There's a huge crowd looking for him. And what does he do? He just goes off to the desert to pray on his own for a bit, like just to listen to the voice of his father. And they catch up with him. They're like, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. And he says, okay, let's go to the, uh, let's go to the villages. There's people there who need to hear the good news. Right, he's, just, he's just not controlled by the opinion of other people. It's so attractive when you see it. And because he doesn't care about the crowds, it means he's willing to obey God even when the crowds hate him. So you look at the last week of Jesus' life and he's put on trial and then eventually he's executed and people are spitting at him and mocking him and shouting at him. And he's just obeying God whatever these people are thinking. The night before that happens, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays, God, not my will, but yours be done. What a king. <laughs> what a king. He obeyed God the Father even when he was despised and rejected for it. And through that obedience, you and I can be saved because Jesus obeyed where you and I fail because he listened to God where you and I don't. Through that, we can be forgiven. We can be welcomed by God. And that's where we receive that honour that we look for in the opinion of other people. Here's a quote, one of my favourite quotes. An American preacher called Tim Keller says this, all the beauty you have ever sought and all the significance you have ever longed for are already yours in Christ Jesus. And the more deeply you and I know that, the more free we will be from the opinion of other people. The more deeply you and I know that, know God's love and acceptance, the more free we will be from the voice and the opinion of the people around us. Of course, we'll still care. Of course, we'll still be involved, but we won't be controlled in the same way. Look, think of me right back in that meeting with my boss, and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious about his opinion of me. Well, if I know that behind that boss stands the God of the universe, 
who loves me and lavishes glory and honor on me in Jesus Christ. Well, then suddenly what my, 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 my boss's voice starts to look a bit smaller. Of course, I'll still try and please him. I'll still try and work hard. But I won't need it the same way. Or if I'm in the pub on a Friday night with my old schoolmates and there's pressure to do stuff that God says no to and I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I fear their opinion, I fear their voice. If I know that the God of the universe already loves and accepts me, well, I don't need their approval in quite the same way. I, if I know I follow the king who obeys God even when he's despised and rejected for it, I don't have to do what you guys are doing here. If I'm, if I'm with that parent whose comments can ruin my mood, and uh, this runs deep, doesn't it? That runs deep. There's no easy fix. But if I am listening to the Father who already lavishes his love and acceptance on me, it doesn't fix all the problems. But that does take the edge off. Does make me less sensitive, less dependent on their opinion of me. It does free me to love them, to serve, to work hard, but not to need their approval. So, look, whatever it is for you, what, it, what, what voice is it that you're most sensitive to? The invitation here is to turn back to the voice of God, to listen to the voice of God. Let me just finally say, if you're here and you're not a Christian here this evening, you're just looking into the Christian faith, can I just ask, doesn't that sound good to you? Wouldn't you like to have a saviour like that? Wouldn't you like to know a love like that that frees you from needing the opinion of others? If you would like to know more about that, just come and grab me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you more about that. Whose voice? Whose voice? As we head out of here and into the week, Whose voice are you going to listen to? Whose voice are you going to be most sensitive to? The eternal Father who loves you in Jesus Christ or people? Let's pray. Our great God and Father, I thank you so much um, for the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that he succeeds just where Saul fails. I thank you that he listens to you and that through his obedience, um, we can come into that love, that glory, that honour that he deserves, that in him you lavish your love and your acceptance upon us. I pray, Father, for us as we head out into these weeks, as we head out um, into all the voices that are clamouring for our attention, please help us tune into your voice. Please would that be the one that matters most to us. And in hearing your voice and your love for us, please would you free us from the damaging effects of needing other people's approval too much. Lord, we ask this in your name for your glory and for our good. Amen.